Welcome to Next Level Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Perry. For 25 years, I've helped professionals, first responders, celebrities, Olympians, teachers, moms, dads, and people just like you achieve their results better and faster than they thought possible. This is where measurable modern science meets the quantum. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Next Level Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Perry, and I'm so excited to have our guest here today, Christy Nelson. She has been the ambassador for Grateful Living and the author of Wake Up Grateful, the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted. She served as executive director at the Grateful Living Center from 2014 to 22. If you go to grateful.org, you can find their organization. Very cool website there. Her life's work is now devoted to nonprofit sectors. She's focused on leading, inspiring, strengthening organizations. She holds a master's degree from Harvard. And Christy, welcome to the show. I mean, you and I were just already getting on fire just talking about consciousness. <laughs> I'm here. I'm so excited to be with you. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I read your book and I'm so grateful. I'm a listener. So you read it yourself on audio. And for me, I don't know what it is. I know science is someday going to figure out what gets transmitted in voice. But because it's your voice and your story and your experience, it's so powerful would you tell our listeners um, what inspired you to write this book and uh, this heroic story that you went through, mm. which you're still living? <laughs> and we do every day, each of us, I think, really. Um, so the inspiration to write the book was to kind of translate this work that I've been doing for a long time into everyday practices and everyday accessible ways of thinking about how to really savor life, how to see life as a gift that it is, how to live fully into the moments that we have. And that really comes for me from a story which is now 30 years, which is just unbelievable. I'm about to have my 30 year anniversary. I was diagnosed with stage four cancer in 1993. And that was after a really long time of being sick. I was sick for nine months before I was diagnosed and it just kept getting worse and worse. I was more and more disabled. And and then they finally figured out what was wrong with me. And I think that's really an important part of the story because people think that cancer especially has a particular trajectory where kind of, you know, you can get early interventions and stuff, but I, they could not, this was elusive, evasive, it was mysterious, it, it um and like people like to think there's a rare cancer. And I think all cancers are actually rare because that's what defines cancer is being aberrant, you know, cells that aren't behaving the way that they're supposed to. And so that is the definition of cancer. And, and so all cancers are themselves anomalous. And so I had this bizarre journey. By the time they diagnosed me stage four, it was in my spine, started, I guess, in my chest and metastasized very aggressively. And so I had about 18 months of healing work to do there and traditional and non-traditional healing modalities and surgeries, lots of surgeries and uh, came out of it with a poor prognosis. <laughs> so after all that, and then I have continued to live. And so for me, the book was an opportunity to put into words and put on paper and put into my voice, as you say, some of the things that 
have become incredibly clear to me about life as a result of traveling this journey where life has not been something I've been able to expect, right? As some people take that so for granted that and, life and just keeps unfolding. And you were somebody that really did take good care of themselves. You had a healthy yeah. diet. So you were not the prime candidate for something like this. Not at and all. The way you described what it was like. I mean, my heart, I mean, because I ran my own medical practice for 23 years in Southern California in three different locations. And I mean, it was just, it's so difficult when somebody comes in and they get this diagnosis and sometimes it's clear and sometimes it's not. But when it's fatal, I mean, it just sucks the life out of you. And your telling of that story, you realize how vulnerable you are. I imagine that at some point you you got very clear about surrendering and, and living in appreciation because there really isn't any other choice at that point. Well, there are. What's interesting is there are choices and you see a lot of people who uh, go through the why me and get really angry. Right. So um, I decided to skip that. <laughs> uh, I, I really felt like, wow, if this is the truth that my days are numbered and now all of a sudden I'm enlightened to that fact, how do I want to spend my days, whether I've got 12 days left, 12 years left or, you know, 1200? I mean, who knows? We have no idea. So what do we do in the face of that, I think, is a very big question. And my decision, though it wasn't like I just made this decision, it was so clear to me from the inside out that treasuring every moment that I had was how I needed to approach the idea of, of time, whatever time was afforded me. And so, yeah, so I think there's lots of different ways that we deal with a diagnosis like this. And it was a very heavy duty one because I was in a lot of pain. Uh, I was young, um, youngish at 32, 33. And yeah, and and it was, I had friends who, as you say, uh, who looked at me and said, if it's possible for Christy Nelson to get cancer, if you can be someone doing yoga, jogging, being vegetarian, eating all the nutritional supplements that you do, you know, all the stuff that I did, meditating. If you can get cancer, wow, that's a wake up call for all of us. And so I appreciated the opportunity to be a teacher for people in that experience of, I guess for me, um, it was humbling and it was sobering and it was a wake up call that we can be in charge of a lot of things in life, but we're not in charge of everything. And so how we go through the journeys that we get given in life is really the choice that's ours. That reminds me of Byron Katie, who I love so much to loving what is. Yep. Yeah. So um, do you think that you're coming to just marinating in gratitude, which is such an amazing energy, mm. did that save your life? Oh, such a good question. And um you know, I will not say that it saved my life. I think a lot of things saved my life altogether. And I, I try to resist, per personally, I try to resist when people say, what was your formula? So that I can follow it exactly. And I say, the formula, if there is one, is figuring out what the formula is for you. <laughs> You know, so I do I do think that there we have such individual journeys and such individual constitutions, bodies like we're so individual, bio individual, spiritually individual, 
karmically individual, what what is ours to navigate? So I tried to make the best decisions that I could in every single moment. And certainly one of the things, to be honest, that was I got sick at a time when Bernie Siegel and Louise Hay were very, very popular. And I experienced that as a ton of pressure, to be perfectly honest. I felt like, wow, I'm only going to die if I don't want to live. Like, this is really scary. And um, because I feel like I'm on this pathway where I might die, but I'm in love with life. And so I felt like what was important for me to be really I'm just going to be so forthright because I have no, you know, you're here to interview me. So what I would say is I felt like I wanted to be able to feel scared and sad and and to deeply embrace the feeling states that would arise for me and not feel like they were going to kill me. So I didn't put a pressure on myself to f- be grateful all the time or to be joyful all the time or to have a good attitude all the time. I let myself cry. I let myself be scared and bereft and to feel because that was part of why I love life. I, it was why my expression of how much I love life was mm-hmm. that I was sad at 32 to imagine losing it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And yet I also learned to pray for the first time for myself Really, I said the first prayer I ever prayed when I was in the hospital and uh, I didn't seem to be getting better and they weren't able to figure out what was wrong with me. And I really made kind of an agreement with God. And and I said, you know, if I'm meant to die an early death here, may it be as profound and powerful as a long life would have been. May I teach as much in my dying young as I would have been able to impart in my life, it was long. And if I get to have a long life, may it be as powerful and profound and instructive as dying young could be. So wherever I go on this journey, I'm willing to die young, but let it be a teaching. Beautiful. That was my first prayer. So it was, you know what I mean? So it was like, it, attitude was important but I also realized there were so many things that were important in there too. And that cutting myself off from my deepest emotions was not going to be the answer for me. It was going to be embracing those, loving those, and therefore not holding them at bay and having them have more power over me than I wanted them to have. Wonderful. So if you were to go back in time and talk to Christy Nelson before she got that initial diagnosis, which I don't even know if you got a diagnosis right away, you went into the hospital and it was a a long time. It was a long journey. Months of not getting answers and knowing that something was wrong. And I mean, just the way you described the journey, it's just like it. Yeah. But what would you say to that, Christy Nelson, um, one where that occurred? What a great question. So let me take a minute and just, not a minute, but let me just tune in. I would say you're on the right track and living is not conditional. Living fully and being alive fully is not conditional on length of time. It's conditional on the quality of your presence to the life that you have and trust that you're on the right path and just hold, hold steady, hold fast to life 
and let it go at the same time. So beautiful, so wise. A lot of the wisdom teachers say to let death be your teacher. I'm sure you've run across that. Oh, big you, time. Seen it first, firsthand. You've, you've yeah. lived it. Um, I believe, yeah, I believe in that, actually. I believe it's, um, St. Benedict said, keep death always before your eyes. And the, that and the Stoics and all the people who really believe that allowing ourselves to accept and embrace our mortality is the key to a more fully lived life. And I would say that that's true for me. That's true, is that I don't take my life for granted. I don't take a single day for granted, which means I embrace the possibility that it could also not be there. It could evaporate. It could not be. So then that brings me really fully alive because I don't take a single moment that I have for granted. And I think when we take life and time for granted, we put off. We say, I'll be grateful when, if this is right, all my circumstances or whatever, I will be thankful for life. I'll be successful when, I'll be joyful, I'll feel love when, I'll give love when, I'll be generous when. And we put all those things off. And the truth is, there is no when that's promised to us. That when is a big mystery. And so why not live it now? Live it today as if it's all you have. So true. So true. What would you say the three biggest um, allies that you had were going through this whole process that you went through? Mm. My family was amazing. So allies, do you mean in terms of like, yeah, the beings? So my, I felt very much surrounded by love. And that was, if, if you want to say what, what helped cure me, I would say that the amount of love, but also my, the fact that I was cognizant of the love that surrounded me. And I chose to believe that my, all the people in my healing life were my beloveds as well. So that everybody was sent to me, you know, even the people who were residents in the hospital who didn't know how to draw my blood well. And oh my God, left me bruised head to toe. You know, it's like all those people, it's like, okay, you were sent to me for a reason. Let's figure out why. Let's open the door to love and curiosity and see what's here. And so I think the medical people, the healers, my friends, my family. And then I would say also to that sense that I developed over time being alone so much of, of a higher power, of a sense of grace, a sense of being held in a much bigger embrace than was tangible. Uh, those were all alliances that I leaned into very heavily, um, the, the tangible and the intangible. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, when you were talking about that, that story of uh, connecting to a higher power, um, it was just re so re reminding me of a, an incident I had when I, I was just feeling the overwhelming electricity and, and buildup of human stuff and, and the intrusion of our existence on the planet. And literally at four o'clock in the morning, one time I went down to the beach in Long Beach and the port of Long Beach is right there. And I was just overwhelmed by the lights and the ships and the, and I just, I, I just, I was almost like, I don't remember I was physically crying or not, but I just tuned into mother earth. And I just said, I am so sorry what we've done to you. And you know, if, if we need to go because we're 
ruining the party here. <laughs> you know, I'm I I'm okay with that. And it was so crazy because I really wasn't expecting a, a huge response, but I got one. <laughs> wow. Was, Mother Earth just said, you know, I love you. You know, I want to support you. I I there was it was just this immense mother love that came from Earth. And I'm relating to your story of that moment of surrender and and just feeling the divine, uh, you know, consciousness, uh, whatever you want to call it, the quantum field, God, just connecting back. And there's just seems to be an awful lot of power in that. <laughs> and I would say that we're called right now, you know, um, you know, the planet, there's illness all around us and, and our planet, right? So the, this mother earth energy that you talk about and how protective I feel towards what's happening on the planet. And I would say the other thing that I didn't mention that is interesting that you just segued right off it is the natural world was a huge ally for me. I got myself out into nature all the time. Like that was once I left the hospital and all of my treatment, I just never wanted to be indoors. Literally, it was like, <laughs> pull me in. You know, I was barefoot in the winter. I was outside all the time. I just wanted to be under the stars and under trees and on the earth and you know, and I think, how do we reckon with the kind of illness that the planet is facing now? Like truly in that, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of questions there. But one of my friends said the other day, you know, we're so worried about the planet and the planet's worried about us you know, because planet's going to be better off than we are in the end. Um so just, you know, I think there's a lot of questions there about how we go through, how do we build those alliances and, and the alliance with the natural world, which is our, which is our mother, um, how we build that alliance in a deep, respectful way that allows sustenance for ourselves and for the planet that we're in partnership. So moving forward, we can't do this without each other, all of us. And, and living with the illusion that we uh, somehow created what has been gifted to us yeah i once i don't know if you've ever experienced a, a full eclipse of the sun yeah it's it's go. if anybody has an opportunity to go experience that um i went right into the pathway of of a full uh solar eclipse and it, it'll take a breath away it's like wow without that energy we're we're gone in a in a heartbeat <laughs> yeah i mean awe awe to 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 remain in reverent awe for what our planet and and what the universe is is making happen and bringing us in every single moment that's one of the ways that i live it's just it's awesome it's truly awe-inspiring and so so much bigger than we are and um yeah, so living living with that kind of reverence is really is medicinal for me. So um, I have a 23 year background in acupuncture, and nutritional medicine, and actually I did. Um, I'll just pop this in here, but I, I had a stage four throat cancer patient that came to me, um, and he asked me the magic words, which are well, because I'm I can't treat cancer. Uh, I just I can help somebody get healthy, and if the cancer goes away, that's great. <laughs> Yeah. So he asked me, what would you do if you were me? And I didn't know, I hadn't been in practice very much. And I didn't, I know there's a lot of healing tools out there today. And I'm really anxious to hear what you turn to. Um, he, I said, well, the people I've seen survive cancer the best are the ones that do um, organic vegetable juicing for a series of weeks. 
and I did muscle testing on him. And I said, the anger and resentment that you're holding on to, let it go yesterday. Mm. And he did exactly what I said, which isn't always the case. <laughs> and he was cancer free in five weeks. Craziness. Mm. Um, supposed to do 14 rounds of chemo. After four, he didn't think he was going to survive. So he... And they yelled at him. They screamed at him. And and you talked about, you know, making your own decisions that are right for you, which I think is an important part of this process. But they screamed at him that if they he didn't do his 14 rounds of chemo, he'd be dead in a month. And he was cancer free in five weeks. And I'm glad they made a television show about it because it got all documented. Um, the the doctors didn't even ask him what he did to survive. Crazy. Um, they did consent to be in the television show and then just like, well, yeah, we don't, we don't know what happened to him. <laughs> um, right. But, you know, and he's still alive. I mean, this is like 15 years ago, which is, you know, wonderful because survival rates, you know, you're, you're an amazing miracle. You've gone a long, long time, um, recovering from stage four. So I'd like to, you know, and I know, I know people ask you what's the magic formula all the time, but did you turn to holistic, uh, uh, modalities and, and, was that, you know, were there meditation, mental states? Um, yeah. I, I do. I, I think gratitude and forgiveness are two keys to massive health and, and living principles. Um, so yeah. what, well, if somebody, if you were talking to somebody that was currently undergoing something, what would you say were really powerful tools that helped you? It's, it's such a good question. And again, you know, I think one of the most beautiful things is to, is to help people as much as we can as practitioners, as teachers, as people in roles to be looked to for wisdom is to help people connect with what their gut really says. So, you know, making sure that your gut is available to you, that your sixth sense, that your intuition, that your instincts are really alive and um, and empowered, right? So that for me, that is the most important thing. And what I tell people all the time is what feels right? What What really, when you go deep, what what registers for you um, on that scale? And so for me, I um, I opted to do, so I did the conventional treatments of chemotherapy and it was very aggressive and it was for six months um, every other week, every 14 days. So I did that and I also did radiation treatments to my spine where the bone, because um, it was intractable, in the bone and they were able to see that the cancer and a lot of the rest of my body was really gone from the chemo, but the chemo had not been able to get to the bone to the same level. So they did radiation treatments there. So, wow, you know, it's just, that's an amazing thing. And I'm still around to talk about it. Um, those are not easy treatments to go through, but I benefited a lot from um, these other developments that had just come in, which were, you know, drugs that helped me, you know, and I, I was a kind of person who I didn't even take aspirin practically before. And I always said, if I ever get diagnosed with cancer, I am going to go macrobiotic. I'm going to do that. And I'm never going to get, and I made different choices. So that's right. what's interesting in the end. It's like for me, boom, there, and I'm still here 30 years later to talk about it. So I think who knows what would have been true if I had made other choices, but this is what's true for me. Um, there were a lot of blessings of the of the medicines that I had, the conventional allopathic Western medicine that I was involved. At the same time, I had a consultation with Yeshi Dondin, who was the Dalai Lama's doctor. The So I did Tibetan medicine and I also did Chinese medicine and I did acupuncture every single week, sometimes twice a week, 
through the entire course of my chemo and radiation. Um, and maybe you don't even know this. So it's like so cool that I can talk about that. But, and I did Chinese herbs and I did these just horrible tasting teas and like just the things, the concoctions that were on my stove. And, um, and I also did Essiac tea, which was an herbal tea, which I got at the time from Canada, from somebody in Canada, which was a, a tea that was supposed to be anti-carcinogenic. And, um, I did, I had Reiki energy healing people who would come to my house cause I couldn't walk. So I was, you know, I was being ushered around and shuttled around and visited by people, which was really amazing to have practitioners who would come to my home, um, when I was too sick to get out. So, and I did a lot of, um, a lot of nutritional supplements that were, you know, helping deal with the free radicals. So, you know, doing the, the anti-inflammatory stuff at the time, a lot of vitamins and minerals that I knew were going to be really helpful. Um, so I was busy, you know, it was like a doing, because I was doing a full roster, I would say for the most part over here of, of complementary, what we now call more complementary at the time was more alternative medicine and then the more conventional or Western medicine, allopathic. So it was a whole roster and I did basically everything that made sense to me. But one thing that I will say that I think is important that came to me when you were asking me the question that I've never talked really much about is there was this idea at the time that chemotherapy, it was so intense and aggressive. It was awful. I mean, it just like was a pretty brutal thing, right? Um, and there were a lot of people who talked about it, like envision it as Pac-Man or envision it as like a GI Joe or like a warrior or envision it something that is, you know, martial arts or <laughs> so this idea that the chemotherapy was this aggressive thing. And so for me, my, I worked with a, a healer at the time who said, come up with an image for the chemotherapy that will be something that your body can work with. And out of nowhere, like just who could imagine? I was like, what can survive on like basically devouring something as awful as cancer? Like what, I guess, well, like rather than fighting it, what can the ally relationship be? So I pictured catfish. Um, and so the chemotherapy was catfish going through my veins and, and basically eating all the sludge like off the side of it. And so I had an aquarium Bowl of catfish that my friends and family that I would have catfish right in my living room. Um, and I pictured this. So for me, the choice was that what I was choosing, I chose to regard benevolently. I chose to see it as an ally rather than doing something that was against my instincts and resisting it or fighting it or questioning it or doubting it. I tried to be in a cooperative relationship with my choices. And I believe that that's really a great benefit. No, I think that's perfect. It, it, it reminds me of, um, I do a lot of Joe Dispenza work um, and he has you go into the quantum, you know, nothing, nowhere, no time and connect to whatever it is that energy is that you want or need at that time. And yeah, according to quantum theory, everything is available all the time and we really just have to get out of our own way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting that your intuition, your instincts guided you there and that worked so well. And I didn't even know Joe Dispenza at the time. <laughs> he wasn't oh, right. Oh, I am. Right. This is 30 years ago. 
Well, truth is truth is truth. And I think different people have been teaching it in different languages throughout time. Um, and that's kind of what our experience and journey is and sharing our information and um, learning from each other um, and kind of being that mirror for each other. Because that's what the wisdom teachers all say, too, that we're yeah. all of one another. And to be of service, to to serve, to serve the bigger picture and each other in the ways that we can. So I'm grateful to have had an experience that can be of benefit to other people and to to see my place in the and being willing to share that in the ways that are meaningful for people, I hope. Yeah. So you for um a bunch of years, I'm looking eight, um, were part of you headed up uh grateful. Um, what was that experience like? How did you get invited to do that? Um, at what point did you realize it was time to move on? And what are you focused on now? Thank you. Well, I, um, it's a great question. I, uh, gratefulness has just always been how I've lived ever since I got through this experience. I think I've just made the decision to live every moment as gratefully as I can. And then I heard about Brother David Steindl-Rast and Brother David is a Benedictine monk. And so St. Benedict is the one who said, keep death always before your eyes. And Brother David really had the experience in the Second World War of almost dying a lot of times because of the bombs dropping and everything in Austria. And uh, and then when he would come out of the church basements or the basements where they were, the kids were hiding and see the blue, blue sky, it was like as if there had never been a bluer sky and as if the joy in his heart had never been greater. And so that relationship between embracing the possibility of death and being really fully alive is part of what he's taught, gratefulness. And he wrote a book called Gratefulness, The Heart of Prayer, and he's just been a prolific writer. So he's now 97. He's back in Austria. He's an extraordinary, amazing teacher and uh, a huge inspiration, a role model in my life. So he founded this organization called the Network for Grateful Living. And uh, they were looking for a director about 10 years ago. And I applied and um, it felt like a calling to me. And so I was glad that they saw that the organization felt like it was a calling for them to have me as well. And we were in beautiful partnership for nine years. I just left um, in March of this year. So not long ago, 2023. And um, after a good nine year run and, you know, I'm 63, so I'm, I feel like it's time for me to embrace a different kind of pace in my life a little bit. Um, you know, running an organization, if you've ever been, especially an executive director of a nonprofit organization that relies on contributions and um, fundraising and those kinds of things, it's a lot of work and, and it's wonderful. And I worked with a team I loved. And I knew I had to move on and move into something that was going to be more sustainable for me. So I'm now um, doing work more independently. I'm doing workshops. I'm still teaching from the book. The book is being republished this year in the fall, which I'm very excited about uh, in paperback. And so I will be continuing to do workshops and keynotes and presentations and teaching and podcasts and um, just the places wherever I'm called and invited to show up. And I'm also going to be writing another book, I hope, next year. So that will be exciting. Um, yeah. I'm so excited for you. That's wonderful. And um, what a great message. 
What was the process like um, deciding or downloading, however it came about, that you wanted to write a book? And then as a first-time author, what was that process and experience like? I, it's a beautiful line of inquiry because it's, it is, it's so many people want to write books, right? So that I talk to people all the time and I, I had maybe wanted to write a book, but I never thought that I could. <laughs> and, um, and what was helpful was um, doing it under the auspices of the organization and then having, and my board of directors, the people who were running the organization really wanted this book to go out in the world because it was a translation and a transmission of Brother David's teachings in more kind of lay people's language. He's Benedictine, so he's, he comes from more of a um, liturgical background. And um, and I was I could come from a more um, agnostic or multi-faith or spiritual kind of place and less religion. So I, I felt compelled. And like I said, I say in the back of the book, if if I hadn't felt like this was a burning mandate from the universe to write this book, I never would have finished it because left to my own devices, there would be no book. Um, and so it, it took that amount of um, feeling directed and by both the board that I love, the organization that I love, Brother David, who I loved, it was like, how can I serve this work? I'm going to write this book. And then once you put that book proposal together and get somebody who wants to publish it, then the timeline is tight and the accountability is high. So, you know, we got a small advance, the organization, and then it's just, there's kind of no real stepping off the, the escalator. You're kind of on it and you're on this moving pathway, like through the airport and it's really hard to get off. So the, the, the railings are there and you're in motion and, there's people checking all the time and you've got accountabilities. So that's that really helped me recognize the discipline that it took, to be honest. And now, you know, my hope is to be able to bring that discipline myself um, without the organization necessarily. But I feel like there's there's something I'm percolating right now that I feel like really needs to be written. And I'm excited about that. So and it comes out of this commitment uh that I have, and it feels like it would be another little piece of legacy work for me in terms of trying to express something that I think is really important. Beautiful. Fantastic. And, and as a first time author, what do you feel like was the key? Because you're right. Everybody wants to write a book uh, to actually attracting and gaining a publisher. Absolute crystal clarity and passion about what it is that you want to write about. You, you know, there's, you can't be equiv equivocating it has to be super unequivocal. So it's like you are there 100% and with a vision. And that's hard. It's really super hard to come by, I think. A vision that is pretty crystal clear and a commitment that is unequivocal. The, that combination is what's necessary to not just get a publisher, but actually to get the book written. Um, and then to keep going through all the things that actually having a published book requires. And and for some people, like I love Elizabeth Gilbert, who I just love so much. And she writes a book about, you know, big magic and the muse and this creative energy that like sits on your shoulder and just like tune into it and befriend it. And it's your biggest ally. And I was like, it's not, it's not so easy. And so when it's really hard, same thing with dealing with cancer, when it's really hard 
it's like to embrace that and say, this is part of the journey. This is not to be pushed away and I've got to feel just blissed out every single moment I'm writing this book or else it's not meant to be. No, you know, part of it is to sort through the layers of the onion and get off the layers of the skin and like work through all of what's so challenging and survive that. You know, sometimes that's really what it is. And, you know, sometimes the downloads of what I needed to write would come at 2.30 in the morning and I would need to just listen and get up and write all night long. And, um, you know, it wasn't always pretty. I made sure I was living far away from a lot of people. I did retreats, you know, writing retreats. So I would go away to friends who weren't going to be there and like take care of their houses and and have big spaces of time and no one around. That for me is a really critical component of of success for me as a writer is to not have to tend to anybody else in the process. I read a book recently um, and forgive me, I don't remember which one it was, but uh, they inquired to a successful writer, you know, well, do you wait for the spirit to move you to sit down and write? And he says, yes. And fortunately, it hits every morning at 9 a.m. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, no, he was he was tongue in cheek. Yeah. He, yeah. I sit down. Right. And I, I discipline myself. Yeah, exactly. Create the space for that. Yeah. I think that's exactly the right kind of um, relationship to these things is to say, do you make yourself available? Are you available, 100% available for what it is that's supposed to move through you? And if you can figure out how to make yourself really available to that, which is, you know, for me means the willingness to sit with silence and the willingness to sit with an empty page for as long as is necessary. And it can be uncomfortable. Absolutely. And the willingness to do that is generative. It allows for things to come that you didn't ever expect. But it can take sometimes a degree of willingness to be with a kind of suffering, you know, like suffering through the not knowing and the whatever it is that that has to be faced in ourselves. We don't get to escape it. Surrender. Beautiful. Surrender. Yeah. Um, you mentioned something really important in your book, and I love the way you described it because you got through the trials and the tribulations. And then there was that moment of, I can breathe, I can live, I don't have to have a doctor's appointment, da, 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 da. Yeah. And actually shared with us, you know, that feeling of starting to take things for granted again. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is really, um, it's something that is an active process. It's not something we can get lazy about because especially, I mean, here in the West, Pema Chodron kind of laughs at us, you know, do you know she is? She's a Yes, of course. Love her, love her, love her. And how can you not love Pema Chodron? But she kind of, and she's the humor with which she writes and, you know, is just so compassion. In fact, I had a radio show out of Angel Stadium and I could, I was right before the Angel game on Sundays and I could get almost anybody for an interview because of my time slot. I couldn't get Pema Chodron. She's like off doing her interviews, you know, she didn't care about publicity. She didn't care about that. You know? Yeah. She was doing her seminars. And I think the only interview she had done was like with Bill Myers Myers on CBS years earlier. Yeah. Anyway, it was just funny talking she's, to her. She's extraordinary, extraordinary. It was funny talking to her agent because she's like, yeah, well, I'll ask her, but probably yeah, not. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck, right? Um, speak a minute to um, how, you know, uh, and again, Pema Chodron, she says, if you live in the West, you know, it's really hard to think you're put upon because so much of the world is so much more, ha- has so much less than we do. So speak to what it takes to be vigilant about appreciating. Well, I call it a moment to moment practice. Uh, it's not just sitting on a cushion for 
you know, 20 minutes or, you know, and saying, this is what I intend. It's how you live every single moment. And I think it's the willingness to be turned inside out um, for life, which is to say to take nothing for granted is to um, be acutely aware of every privilege and every blessing. And and that's a lot. It's to be willing to be overwhelmed by those things, um, to see the miracle in so much that is available to us, uh, the incredible privileges and to claim those privileges, to see those, to recognize that we didn't used to have a lot of what we have. We won't someday have what we have. A lot of people don't have what we have. A lot of people would give anything to have what we have. And so how do we honor what we have except for living in this really profound appreciation for it and taking things for granted is such a, a an intense dishonoring. Um, the people in our lives, the things that we have in our lives, the bodies that we have. And we we could just, if we just made a practice, which is part of what I really think the point is, out of noticing everything that is in service of our lives and appreciating those things, truly being aware and awake and alive to those things, open to them. It's the greatest quality of life. It shifts everything immediately on its axis is to say, I could not have this. Wow. And one day I won't. And a lot of people don't. And I didn't used to like everything. And can we live with deeper gratitude <laughs> for all that is available to us in life? And that is, if you, you know, Brother David says this beautiful thing, which I think is worth really saying, um, it's not happiness that makes us grateful, it's gratefulness that makes us happy. And that's one of his most famous sayings. It's amazing, right? So it's like, if, if you're not grateful for what you have, why is having more going to make you grateful? Why is it going to make you happy? Yeah. Happiness is not about, oh, I need something else in order to be happy. It's about taking stock, taking inventory, and really deeply being appreciative of what is available to us. And then from there, it can grow. But it's uh, it's not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us happy. So if we can start by being grateful, wake up every single day. And the first thing that you do in the morning is be grateful that you're waking up. Because... And it's like not out. Yeah, not everybody and, does. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Chicknut Han, uh, there, uh, there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. Exactly, exactly. And we forget when the non-toothache. Like we notice what doesn't work. That we notice the toothache, but we don't notice all the moments when we don't have a toothache. So how do we bring our attention to the gifts of? all of the suffering that we're not having, all of what is working in our lives, all of what, you know, as opposed to just what's broken. Because we notice things as soon as we lose them and then it's too late. And so I, that's part of my purpose and passion in life is to help people wake up, to be grateful for what we have before needing to lose it or almost lose it in order to actually recognize that you've been taking it for granted and how much of a gift it was. And that includes life, life itself. And when we truly step into that, it's, it's palpable how expansive that is. I mean, just having this conversation with you here now, 
I can just feel my whole beingness. It's really lovely. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's really a gift. And I'm, I'm grateful for your, your interest in the topic and the work and the book. I'm so glad to be a guest. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I just want to mention one other thing before we close. Uh, I, I, I was grousing about one thing or another and something going on in my life. And my meditation teacher said to me, Tara, do you ever just wake up grateful for your breath? Yeah. There you go. Wow. And yeah, and that is that is the surefire way, I think, to perspective, to to living differently is did we ever learn anything during COVID, but that the breath is a miracle, right? And to be able to be breathe unassisted and to wake up in the morning and take a deep breath and say, I'm here and have that be a source of joy. That ability to do that, just that, if we can find the extraordinary in the ordinary, then we will be grateful and happy. Wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to say in closing? I thank you so much for joining us and sharing this beautiful, precious story and message. Um, I do invite people to go get Wake Up Grateful, the transformative practice of taking nothing for granted. Um, it's joyful to listen to. Um, really, it's great that you're reading it. Uh, anything else you'd like to um, I would say just in in ending... If we treat every day as a miracle, if we treat the fact that we're here at all as miraculous, how many millions of things had to go right and not go wrong that we are here at all in every single moment and be in awe and marvel at that and go out of our doors skipping and hug the people we love deeply, not taking anything for granted. Our lives will be so much more beautiful. You have a story in your book. Um, we have uh, two and a half million new red blood cells coming online every second. It's unbelievable. So what are those cells hearing from you? Are they hearing, oh my God, I have to go you know, to the market. Oh my gosh, I really don't like being around this person. Oh my gosh, you know, I got to take care of that bill. Oh goodness, you know, I have to go to the gym and get that exercise in, which I really hate. <laughs> or I get to. Yeah, yes, exactly. Well, that's the other thing I love in your book is, um, in fact, uh, I, I, I have shared that with other people. <clears throat> I, I, I did know that mind shift, but yeah. uh, you had a nice little ending to it, which I didn't know. And I also, when, when I heard it in your book, um, I, although I had done it, you know, probably 80% in my world, there was still a chunk that I realized, oh, I'm pushing myself. I've got that. I have to. And when I took those things, which were the have tos and shifted them around to, oh, I get to dot, 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 because I can. Yes, because I can. Energetically just shifted those things for me in, in a really beautiful way. So it is incredible. And I'm a caregiver for my dad. I was a caregiver for my mother who passed away. I'm a caregiver for my stepdad. And you know, we're all taking care of all kinds of people in our lives. And and the fact that we get to is incredible. And that shifts the energy completely. As I, if I feel beleaguered by something, you know, by some of the tasks of life and the things that call on my time and my energy, it's a beautiful shift to say, this is a privilege 
because I can do it. I, I Someday I won't be able to take care of these people I love. And what an amazing opportunity to get to really appreciate the fact that I can. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Christy. I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate um, the thoughtfulness, the energy, the insights, um, and all the blessings of just being able to make this connection. Thank you for what you do. And um, I wish you a grateful day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Next Level Healing. Please like, subscribe, and let us know how this helped you. How can it be even more life-changing? We love hearing from you. And if you're eager to upgrade your life, click the button here or go to consultterra.com and get your free customized GPS map. Get the coordinates for where you are now and where you want to go. Clients consistently report it's faster and easier than they thought possible. Remember, you were meant for more, and it is available to you. See you right here next week for our next episode. Yeah.